This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 30, recorded November 10th, 2010. Why Men Alone in the Priesthood. Welcome to This Week in Prayer Room Companion. I am Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we are going to pick up a topic. Well, okay, sorry. We always sort of, what's, <laughs> what's going on up there, Father? Are you busy? We talked about this last week. You're never busy as priests, as everybody No, because priests only work on Sundays. Exactly. We covered that last week in detail. Yeah. Um, well, We're, brought, uh, we actually uh, have a beautiful week going on here uh, at Pius 12th Newman Center in this uh, week of uh, November, uh, what are we here, the November 10th of 2010. Uh, we're doing a we're doing 50 straight hours of Eucharistic devotion in honor of 50 years of the Blessed Sacrament being here on the campus of SDSU. Beautiful. So, what does yeah. that mean? What do you do? Well, uh, we start out with uh, we have the Blessed Sacrament exposed uh, for these 50, essentially these 50 straight hours, and the students have all signed up to be a guardian to be uh, in the chapel with the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, throughout this time frame, uh, even uh, the middle of the night. I, myself, am a little groggy this morning from my 3 a.m. shift. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> a good, good way for me as a solo priest to feel solidarity with uh, <laughs> the holy vocation of marriage and those parents that wake up with their children. There we go. Yes. And uh, uh, so that's going on. We have uh, a priest in uh, from the Diocese of Winona, Minnesota, Father Tom Niehaus, who's preaching conferences different times during the day, and uh, then we have uh, someone in who's leading some times of praise and worship as well, uh, morning prayer, divine mercy chapel at different hours, and so lots of good things. Excellent. Busy, yeah. very busy, as always, as we talked about last week. Exactly, not, not to mention the uh, holy sacrifice of the Mass in there as well uh, during these days. The, the, during the 50 hours, you mean? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, but of course, a busyness that uh, any father should love to be a part of. Absolutely. Right. So, and that, I think it is a good a segue. Um, those of you who listened to last week's podcast um, know that we started off intending, Father and I, l- last week we're going to talk about the the uh, the question or the, the, uh, the church's teaching on the reservation of priestly ordination to men alone. That is that women um, cannot be priests. Uh, but we ended up, as we started to discuss that, we ended up spending the podcast, decided to talk in the podcast instead about um, sort of the, the life and ministry of a priest, just a little glimpse into um, the, the, the nature of the, of, of the life of a priest, just then the, 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 the day in and day out schedule, so to speak, or to some degree, lack thereof, or combination of schedule with the unanticipated, <laughs> maybe a... Um, uh, but 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 the the point our purpose was and and we decided to put it off till this week. Um, what we we had set out and today we're going to discuss this question of the uh, the the ordination of men alone. That is again that women um, cannot be ordained as priests in the Catholic Church. And Father, I think that particularly you know taking our diocese in as example, many many dioceses around the country um, are are going through a pastoral planning process looking at. Uh, you know, take the number of priests and the number of parishes and the the size of those parishes, and looking at restructuring um, the, the parish life in their diocese in, in in a variety of ways. And I think a lot of times, m- many Catholics, 
well-meaning, certainly, look at the the possibility or the fact of parish closings and so on, uh, because there simply aren't enough priests to to serve all of the parishes, and wonder why can't we ordain? Why can't? Why doesn't the church ordain married men um, and women to the priesthood so that we can have access to the sacraments? Um, particularly the Eucharist, in these parishes. In other words, instead of closing these parishes, why don't we just ordain um, the married and women? Which is, in many ways, a very practical, a very pragmatic uh, answer uh, to, that, to that question of parish closings, isn't it? You know, uh, you got a shortage, add more. Right. You know, uh, and so uh, you might call it, call it a quantitative easing. The, uh, and... Uh, that was a financial joke, which Dr. Burwell didn't get? Nope. <laughs> I, frankly, I was about to say, that must be from your chemistry background, Father. So. <laughs> no, I just thought you were up on uh, current events. But anyways. Anyway. Oh, that's uh, yes, priming the pump. Yeah, all that good stuff. Quant, yeah, all right. I'm with you. Father and I are okay. both tired, but apparently I'm tireder. So. <laughs> anyway. Actually, I think I might be tireder, but I'm just in kind of that goofy stage. Ah, there we go. Right, so it's simply kind of this uh, this easing of the burden. The problem is, it's uh, the Catholic priesthood is can't just be viewed as a normal uh, a normal functionary occupation. It's not the same as steel workers. It's not the same as teachers. It's not the same as nurses. It's not the same as doctors or lawyers. It's something completely different. It's uh, it's viewed as a sacrament. It's viewed as a calling, as a vocation, and uh, even most interestingly, it's viewed as a, a gift from the church, or a gift, a gift from Christ to the church. Right. And so in that sense, it's something that we're entrusted with, that we can't uh, do anything we want. Any right. choices that we do make have to be in accord with uh, and in line with that original gift that's given to us. You know, I think one thing, Father, right there, you sort of mentioned how, you know, it's not just a... Last week, sort of talked on, touched on how the... Priestly life, priestly ministry, it's not functional. It's more at the level of being. You, priesthood is not something you do. It's something you are. You are a priest. And and you, it's not, you, you sort of listed how it's not a profession. You gave examples. Um, as, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, no, it's exactly as, you know, you gave the example of your solidarity. You got up at 3 a.m. this morning, getting some taste of the life maybe of a, of a, of a, of a father. Um, or a mother. I mean, more uh, likely a mother. I think in that situation. Well, uh, I'll let you know. I've there been. I've had my nights. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. It, that, what I thought of is that you, as the priest. I mean, what you are, and from that, what you do is much more akin to a married person. And again, that's the nature of vocation. Um, it, it flows that you're, the, the analog is not to a steel worker or a lawyer or a teacher. The analog is to a husband, a wife, a mother, a father. Right. And so I suppose the, you know, kind of a, another way to look at it is, um, because we're, you know, in some ways right now we struggle with, uh, divorce rates in the United States, you know, how do we. How do we get, you know, more good married couples, more good Catholic married couples, more good Catholic families? You know, we can't just, you know, in some way broaden it to include Catholic marriages as, you know, two dogs. Right. You know, and oh, these are good Catholic marriages now because these two dogs are really faithful. No, you know, we need, 
we need real good marriages. We need to restore the goodness of marriage, dive into the dignity of what marriage is, the, uh, the gift of it for husband and wife in its uh, rich reality, uh, and call others and, and call others to live that. In the same way, that's what uh, needs to happen with the priesthood. But there's more going on in this, uh, uh, maybe in this public concern for women priests especially, as opposed to married priests, there's more going on in this than simply just trying to ease uh, an issue of uh, shortages. Right. What? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. If you were, I don't want to interrupt again. I wasn't. I was waiting for you on that, but I'll go ahead. Well, what I was going to think of what we talked about maybe beforehand is, is, I mean, been there, done that in some cases in other churches and traditions. That's a very interesting point. Let's, well, let's explain what this other issue is, not just the sense of trying to ease uh, the numbers, ease the shortage, make sure people have access to church. Uh, but for some people who will advocate uh, a uh, ordained, ordaining women, uh, opening up the priesthood to women, will advocate it on grounds of uh, you know, what we call, call culturally here in the United States that uh, sexual equality, the rights of the equality of the sexes. Right. And say that in some way, um, the Catholic priesthood in this way, and the Catholic vision of priesthood, is exclusionary uh, of women and even a denial of the rights of women. And, right. And it's it's not, but that's sort of the, that's stating the obvious. Um, right. And, 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 as far as I can tell, that's a majority of the reason why uh, Protestant churches, many of them, opened up their ministries. I mean, of course, because yep. all their ministries in some ways are descendant uh, from the Catholic priesthood. Right. Uh, and so all of them, uh, and most all Protestant denominations, started out as reserved to men alone and then uh, opened up uh, not so much for theological reasons, but more just in accommodation to the culture around them, uh, an imitation of the culture around them. And, uh, and so one of the interesting things, though, if you, if you go back to those people who talk about the married priest from a uh, point of utility of, you know, how can you deny uh, Miss Irma Bomberger uh, her right for a uh, priest out in, um, you know, tiny town Iowa uh, because uh, there's uh, demographics are changing. Why can't we just ordain a woman to go out there? Who, who wants to go? Who wants to be ordained? Right. But the interesting thing is, Protestant, Protestant churches right now have the same shortages or the same difficulties, maybe not necessarily shortages, same difficulties that we do. Or even more so. I mean, yeah, if, if th that is to me the sort of, I mean, it's one of the quickest ways to really address this whole question. Um, not the most complete, but it, it's fairly effective to the point to the fact that those those churches and traditions that have allowed women in in the pastorate or what they call, may call the priesthood um, are struggling just as much, if not more, than than the than the Catholic Church is with the problem of the number of of people they have available to go into their parishes and into their churches. It's not it's not effective. It does not address the question or the problem, at least, of not enough people to serve the needs of the parishes. Exactly, and as a, I have a it's my my dad's cousin, kind of an uncle. A uh, nice Catholic man, and I'm actually visiting him this weekend. But he uh, he's always one who will try to advocate uh, that married, or uh, actually that's often married, but that woman's priest. I just keep telling him, you know, uh, Dick, you're putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot. Right. 
You know, we put a band in a gunshot wound because you're gonna, you might treat the, the symptom, but you're not going to treat the underlying reality. Exactly. Which is uh, the death of uh, personal discipleship. Yeah, and so I think it would be good, Father, to, to elaborate a little bit on that. So the problem is not that, as, as you would put it before, the problem is not that God's not calling enough people to the priesthood. It's that not enough people are listening to God's will, whatever it may be. So you, you were just sort of personal discernment. Can you, can you un, 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 elaborate on that a little bit? Certainly. You know, um, if, you think, if you look in the Gospels, Jesus is always calling for an increase in, uh, in that sense of, to use a generic term, ministry, ministers. You know, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. Pray to the master of the harvest that you would send out laborers into his vineyard. Um, and uh, uh, so I firmly believe, and I, I think the church firmly believes that uh, Jesus, our Lord, is still calling uh, young men uh, to be priests, to be good priests, to be holy priests, to be generous priests. But the problem is, culturally, um, the way that we live the faith so often in our discipleship, we become numb to listening. We're no longer attuned to his voice. You know, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Right. Uh, but in some sense, our hearts have gone hardened or callous or unreceptive to uh, to his call. So and that's uh, yeah. that's really the main thing that we need to uh, hand a little off our topic here of, of women's priesthood. That's really the the main thing that we need to be addressing for the future uh, and for the success, success and health and growth of. Of the church, yeah, and and that's I think that's just that's just the nature of Christian discipleship too is that that we need to be listening to for the the small still voice of God speaking to us through our hearts in everything we do, but certainly in the area of of the state of life that that He is calling us to. Exactly, and I think I mean, one of the things I said this in my homily this weekend with the uh, very beautiful yet in some ways foreign or alien readings from Second Maccabees chapter seven. Uh, especially of uh, the seven brothers that were willing to die uh, for the sake of uh, the Torah, of the law of Moses, um, and their mom who encouraged them to die right. rather than defy the law of Moses. You know, it doesn't make sense to our current calculus. Right. You know, our current calculus in the United States of comfort to future of plans and desires, it doesn't make sense. Our, our calculus, really frankly, our calculus of hedonism. Right. Right, of hedonism, of individualism, and uh, minimalism, right. as Matthew Keller said. Right. Uh, and so what we need is, uh, and that dictatorship relativism, as uh, Ben could say, and uh, what we need is to pray for an awakening of our imaginations, you know, that, it, that God might call you to be celibate, God might call you to be a celibate priest, to be a consecrated woman in a religious order, consecrated man in a religious order, and you'll be happy. Right. And that's something that is just foreign to so many, just being culturally, to so many Americans, including many American Catholics. I mean, what, what you, you mean to give up the possibility of sexual love? How can, how can my life be fulfilled without it? Right. Yeah. You know, um, the, uh, I remember I mean, some of the questions I got from people when I was leaving the state school to go to the seminary. Uh, I had uh, actually it was a supervisor of me as an RA called me into her office and she's like, you know, I'm a I'm not Catholic, but I'm a preacher's kid. And I just, you know, you know what you're getting yourself into, and I'm like, you don't. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't have quite a uh, snappy answer like that, but it was just like, you know, I, what I do know I'm getting myself into is that, you know, I've talked to God, listened to God, and this is what God's asking me to do. And so there it is. Absolutely. So, so yeah, but the, the point here for this, or this, um, this sort of side discussion is that um, ordaining women is clearly, if you just look at it um, as uh, well, what's the word? If you just look at the statistics um, in other Christian churches, ordaining women does not solve the problem of uh, the, the 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 shortage of ministers. Um, as as you were just explaining, it's it's a pro- problem rather with our listening or lack thereof to God's call in our hearts. Um, so there's that, but I think also, but that's not really in the end. That's that's not, that's not really a theological argument um, in defense of the church's teaching. Uh, no, and, and it's just pointing out that in terms of although it is a spiritual diagnosis, right? It is, um, but I think it's just you know if, if if you're making a pragmatic argument that we should ordain uh, women so that we have enough ministers in the church, this is sort of a pragmatic response. Well, that just that's actually doesn't work. Um, so it, it's uh, it's it's not really a theological uh, response, but the objection to begin with was it theological. Now there's some though who would more go argue for this as as a matter of of justice, uh, and you sort of alluded to that father initially with that's how the the uh, the Protestant traditions opened up um, the, uh, the their 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 ministry to women that that women are uh, equal in dignity to men. And that, as a matter of justice, they should also be able to uh, be involved in ministry, just as men. Um, and that's maybe getting—that's one formative argument that is maybe a little more substantial, um, more towards a theological um, argument or rationale in in favor of, in defense of uh, women priests. And I want to move to that sort of, you know, getting into those the, more of the the objections. And I think, Father, the first thing uh, that the first point that has to be made here, it's an important one, I think, in so many areas of of uh, belief, particularly beliefs, doctrines, teachings that we hold as Catholics that maybe are countercultural and therefore difficult sometimes for us to accept. And and that is that we accept church's teaching, uh, the church's teaching, not because we have analyzed it and thought it through intellectually and we have um, accepted its intelligibility and therefore we acknowledge its truth. Rather, we acknowledge its truth because it is the teaching of Christ through his church and then we seek to understand it, uh, to to grow in our knowledge of of the inner logic of it. You know, if you look at the classical definition of, of theology, theology is faith-seeking understanding. It's taking what we believe um, and then trying to understand it more more fully, more completely. We don't suspend belief until the conclusion of that process of of uh, intellectualization. Rather, we acknowledge this belief initially, and then we seek to understand it as we go. And if you look throughout church history, that's how it's always been. In the very early centuries of the church, when the some of the great heresies like Arianism and so on were challenging fundamental beliefs of Christianity, such as the Trinity. Uh, Christ's humanity and divinity, um, the church didn't. Well, let's let's stop here and look. Is Jesus really God? Well, we don't know. Let's weigh the evidence. Oh, he is. Yes, Jesus is. God. No, it's not how it's. No, we know Jesus is God. We know he is fully man. Let's try to understand this more. This is the truth. 
let's try to understand it more deeply and more effectively. And that's the, Father, I think the attitude that that we as Catholics need to take to this question, as as so many other questions that, that maybe are difficult, as I said, countercultural, that we have to, uh, that, that, that's the frame of mind we have to approach these topics with. Exactly. Uh, you know, that the teachings of the Church are in the teachings of the Church because we agree on them. The teachings of the Church because we believe that's what we receive from Jesus Christ, that it's in accord with Scripture, accord with Revelation accord with teaching, you know, the example of, um, as you give of, uh, you know, is Jesus God in those early questions of the early church? You know, the early proclamation is Jesus is Lord. Right. You know, Jesus saves, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. And that, that initial proclamation is what then, you know, and that faith was, was what sought understanding. The understanding always had to be in accord with that initial faith and that initial proclamation. And that continues to be a great model for us to follow uh, in, uh, when we're looking at understanding what it is that we believe in. Exactly. So, so you have sort of the, the, the content of the divine revelation, what, what God has revealed to us. But then so often, uh, is, has been the case throughout history, the arguments that allow us to more fully understand uh, the rationality of that particular belief are developed in response to objections. In other words, uh, that, that we don't, uh, to take, again, the early church example, the church didn't develop its, its detailed and, and uh, deeply theological-philosophical explanation of Christ's fully hum- full humanity, full divinity, how they correspond, how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal God, but also three distinct persons. She, the church didn't unpack that and, 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 and develop her her rich and deep theology about Christology and the Trinity um, just sort of out in a vacuum. Rather, it happened in response to objections. Uh, but as you said, the initial proclamation, Jesus is Lord. And then people, well, but wait, I gotta, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. And then she said, okay, well, this is what it means. Let's, let's look at this. How do we understand this? And we go forward from there. And I think the same thing is the case today with this question of, of, um, the impossibility of having women priests. We accept the church's teaching as true, and then we seek to understand it. The, the The problem, so to speak, or a problem is, because the church hasn't had to develop arguments to explain her teaching at this point, there are a lot of Catholics who look at, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't. There aren't any arguments in its defense, or the arguments aren't very um, sound to me. Therefore, I'm not going to accept it. But again, that's not historically how it's gone. It, it's going. The church is now beginning to offer these arguments to explain, to elaborate on the teaching which we are, which we accept initially at the beginning as true. Exactly, and it's one of the. In that sense, we're at a historically unique time. Um, that uh, there hasn't been a lot of pressure, at least not since actually the early centuries of the church, towards uh, a woman's priesthood per se. Uh, but now we're facing those questions again in a new way, and we have to uh, create those arguments anew. We have to create those arguments afresh, and for the uh, in the language uh, of uh, the culture in which we live. Exactly. So again, we 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 take as the premise. Okay, this is the church's teaching. And by the way, the the this has been made clear. Uh, John Paul II wrote um, a document in 1994. Uh, Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, um, an apostolic letter, and he makes clear in there that the church, 
as you, you said at the very, near the very beginning, the priesthood is a gift, and we can, the church cannot do to this gift whatever she wants. The church simply does not have the ability to ordain women. The, uh, the understanding of what the priesthood is, as received from Christ, the church cannot ordain women. That is, that is a matter of truth. It's a matter of doctrine. It's not a point of discussion anymore in terms of, is this, um, is this teaching true or false? It is a teaching of the church. What we now must do, and what theologians and others are doing, is, okay, why is this the case? How can, how can we better understand the rationale, the inner logic of this teaching to make it, as you said, to, to make it sensible and intelligible and convincing to the men and women of our particular age with the questions, the presuppositions that they have. Right. And I think, uh, let's go to, again, just maybe briefly, that since initial proclamation, what do we see in the scriptures? We see that um, Jesus was not a man who followed social convention. Right. Jesus is not a man who is limited by the norms uh, of his own day. You know, he did some of the most radical things of his culture. He ate with the sinners, the tax collectors, those who were seen as enemies of Israel, enemies of Moses, enemies of the God of Israel. Yet he reached out to them, uh, sought them out, and carried them back on his shoulders. And so to think that in some way Jesus felt restricted uh, to only picking men as the apostles, as those first priests— uh, or that the early church uh, felt restricted in that way uh, is uh, it's false. It's patently false. We have to we have to make sure that we're clear on that right when we look at that in sense initial proclamation. Right. The, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And uh, so we have to we have to seek to understand to look and see. You know, there must be some other reason then why uh, our Lord did that. There must be some other reason. Why he chose, and I think this is the way that uh, John Paul II phrases it in uh, Ordinationis Sacerdotalis. Basically, yeah. Something like that. And, uh, <laughs> Latin fail. And uh, 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 there must be some of the way doing it. So, as he says, that the church doesn't have the freedom uh, to do this because of the example of our Lord. Right. We're yeah. All all the church can do is is what what Jesus taught her and instructed her to do. She cannot again. She cannot do whatever she wants. And as you, that's when I think, Father, I'm glad you addressed or raised the point and, and responded to it. That while well, Jesus was just constricted, he was a Jew and da, 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 da. no. I mean, as you said, Jesus was very countercultural, even even among his own people. Um, he he. Uh, hung out Dr. with all the wrong sorts of people, um, all sorts Dr. of Google. times. So, to, when, you, when when you say countercultural, can you say? So we we dropped the connection there, but uh, just picking up again, Father, and, and sort of moving, moving towards a conclusion. You know, we, we have what the church teaches, and we accept it as true, and then we develop the arguments. And I know, you know, you and I, we've talked about some good resources that I think would be good to to point people towards. Um, that for, for some further reading, um, there's a book that I know that you particularly are intrigued by, uh, and I'll let you plug yours first. Certainly. It's called uh, Women and the Priesthood, and it's by two authors, uh, each with uh, kind of an essay in it, separate, not a combined author. But Women and the Priesthood by Peter Kreeft and Alice von Hildebrand. Uh, Peter Kreeft is a uh, philosopher and theologian at Boston College, an expert on uh, Thomistic theology, a uh, very, very good writer, very easy to read as well, which is yep. a plus. Yep. And Alice von Hildebrand, 
Um, uh, I don't know much biographically about her, but I know I really enjoy uh, the way that she wrote, and she really uh, gives an interesting argument against uh, women priesthood as based on the dignity of femininity. Can you elaborate on so so? What does that mean? Yes, that uh, she says I mean, that the real dignity of femininity is not found in uh, uh, in action, but in uh, their identity of receptivity and uh, and gentle strength and things of that sort. That uh, in chasing after some sort of empowerment by a functionality, uh, and, and that's what she deems uh, that some of the active proponents of women's priesthood are doing is that they're chasing after a dignity for women based upon a functionality, she says that actually demeans the cause of women all the more. Huh. So I, I think it, it's sort of counterintuitive. I mean, she's making the, the really, the, the, the position that, that highlights the dignity, of, or to say that women should become priests, uh, should, should be able to be ordained priests, denigrates the dignity and the, the, the essential difference of or what it means to be a woman, in other words. Right. Because so she says in some way it, it reduces the woman to be no different than a man. Very interesting. Instead of understanding the true gift of her feminine, femininity. Very good. Okay. Uh, anything else about that book that you want to highlight? Or? No, I think that's the best stuff. Peter uh, Kreeft is always good for a good argument. He is. Uh, but as you said, this, is, this book is too... It, it's... Um, two essays, sort of extended essays, one by Kreeft and one by von Hildebrandt. Um, and it's nice and small and an easy read. I believe it's through Ignatius Press. Okay, very good. Um, the or it, might be Francis, it might be Franciscan University Press. It, well, that's, the copy I had was printed, printed by Franciscan University Press. I'm not sure it's, if that's who it's still available through or not, but yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the two that I wanted to highlight, um, one of them is by a Dominican priest, Father Benedict Ashley. It's called Justice in the Church. The subtitle is Gender and Participation. So Justice in the Church, Gender and Participation. And what he does, this he really gets into the question of the question of justice, um, you know, is because one of the one of the str- main arguments that will be made, and I alluded to earlier, is that um, women have equal dignity to men, and therefore they also have a right to the priesthood, and it, it's therefore it's an, an injustice committed against them to prevent them to disallow them from being ordained. And he really gets in; he digs deep into that. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's not a real tough read, but but it's definitely uh, a very rich read. Um, uh, so so that there's one. The other one, sort of, and I think this I put this somewhere in terms of uh, readability between um, the Hildebrand Kreeft book and Ashley's book. This one's called "The Catholic Priesthood and Women: A Guide to the Teaching of the Church," and it's by Sister Sarah Butler. And what I love about this book, uh, well, one of the things I love about this book is just that Sister Butler. Um, she was probably even 15, well, 20 years ago at least, was an advocate for uh, women's priesthood. And then as she looked into it more and more, and particularly after John Paul II wrote his document in 1994, she dug into it. She's come to accept the church's teaching and and uh, not just accept it, but, but she is, uh, I don't know, a, a proponent, a public advocate for it now. And so this book, she sort of just sets out some, some of the basic uh, principles and the basic arguments. And she She does a great job of making the distinction that I pointed to earlier 
there's the church's teaching and then our explanation of it, our, our arguments in defense of it, and so on. Uh, and so she she presented, okay, this is what the church teaches. Now, how can we understand it? Well, here are a number of arguments that are being developed that enable us to understand why the church teaches what she does. So um, that's one of my favorite books on this whole question, but the others are, are certainly excellent as well. So Excellent. So, Father, any closing thoughts? Not right now. I think uh, one is I just encourage everyone to uh, to trust the church. I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges, especially in this day, especially with uh, maybe various fruits you might have in your past. But trust the church. Trust that the church uh, is out for your good and that uh, our Lord and teachings of the church is out for your good as well. And I would just say also um... – have confidence in the fact that the, that that there is rationality, there's there's intelligibility um, in all of the church's teachings. That maybe you know, maybe maybe you don't see, maybe it does seem unjust to you to uh, to prohibit the ordination of women. Um, but know that there is an explanation, there is an answer to the question of why. But it does require humility and again trust, as Father said, to to come to some understanding of what that rationale is. So I think with that we will uh, we'll wrap this one up uh, and uh, come back again next week for a new topic. And I would just it's it's November, so remember to keep the the, the souls in purgatory in your prayers during this month, particularly on uh, which we remember them um, in a special way. And Father and I will be back next week with another edition of Prayer Own Companion. Thanks and God bless. God bless.